Well, last summer, our family had the opportunity to visit Italy. Now, I have never, ever been to Italy before. I'm a huge fan of their food. Uh, I understand that they make phenomenal cars, but we got a chance to go to Italy, and we were kind of in the interior in Tuscany, never saw Rome or any of that kind of stuff, and had a phenomenal visit. We uh, kind of drove through the Italian countryside. We visited some cathedrals, visited some vineyards, ate the greatest food I have ever put in my mouth in 52 plus years. The food is worth the train trip if you ever get to go to Italy. It is absolutely unbelievable. But there was one piece of art that we saw while we were there. It's in the city of Florence, and you've probably seen pictures or heard of it before. I'm talking about Michelangelo's The David, and Michelangelo's David is a staggering, colossal work of art. I think we have a picture of Julian. There we are viewing the David. This sculpture is 17 feet tall. It weighs in at over six tons. And I can tell you, when you stand in the room, it is absolutely overwhelming. It is so incredible in person. I mean, that set, that's kind of what I look like when I get out of the shower. But <laughs> there in the room, I don't know why you're laughing, but there in the room, it really is a phenomenal, phenomenal work of art. It was completed in 1504. Michelangelo sculpted it. What's interesting is it was originally supposed to go up on the roof of the cathedral there in Florence by Il Duomo. But when he completed it, there was no way they were gonna get six and a half tons off of the ground and support it on that rooftop. So they moved it in front of what passed as Florence's city hall the trip to move the David from Michelangelo's workshop to Florence's City Hall was a half a mile, a half a mile. It took them four days to transport this thing, a half a mile. It's an incredible, incredible artistic, historical, cultural masterpiece. The good news of Jesus Christ takes your life, takes my life and carves out of them the masterpiece that God intended, that God designed when he created us. Michelangelo is famous for having, say, having said that inside every block of stone, there is a statue. It is the task of the sculptor to discover it. And this is exactly what the gospel does in your life and in my life as God chisels away the rough edges and pulls out of the raw material, the raw marble of our lives, the masterpiece that he intended when he created us, when he calls us into a relationship with himself. This is what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter number two, verse 10. In Ephesians 2.10, the Bible says, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So in Christ, we are recreated. We are reimagined as the masterpiece God designed us to be before sin, before pain, before death entered this world. 
And so there is this ongoing process, which really is what we've been looking at for the last few weeks as a church in this series we've been in called Morph, the power to change. We've been looking at this process that, yes, there is a, a moment where a person steps over the line of faith. They choose to trust Jesus more than they trust themselves. They say, you are the Lord of my life. I'm not going to play God anymore. There is that moment. But then there is this process of, of metamorphosis, of transformation. And we've used as the baseline for our series this passage from Romans chapter 12 that we've really kind of been excavating for the last few weeks. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, you'll remember, is really our foundation. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and perfect will. Be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In the original Greek that Romans was first recorded in, that word is metamorphose. That, that metamorphosis, that transforming process that the Holy Spirit begins in each of our lives when we come into a relationship with Christ that is ongoing throughout our lives, through this, this renewing of our minds. But today as we wrap up this series, we're going to take a look at, at a different kind of transformation because the reality is that there are parts of your life, just like there are parts of my life, that need to be chiseled away, that, that need to be carved away and, and polished and refined if we're going to live the life that God has created, that God has called us to live. But before we get into that, that chiseling, I want to make sure that we remember the sequence. So this starts with our, our motivations, our thoughts, our renewing of our minds, like Romans 12, 2 says. And then in Romans chapter 3, remember, it says that we ought not to think of ourselves more highly than we, than we ought to, that we should use sober judgment when we consider ourselves. That's that, that self-awareness. So right now, just turn to your neighbor and tell them like you mean it with passion and a smile on your face. Sober up. And we're not talking about morning mimosas before church. We're talking about having sober judgment of, of who we are, of what we do in this life. But then look at where God takes this train of thought from, from renewing our minds and sober self-awareness. Look at what he says in verses four and five. He says, now, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. So it's like, it's like this, this whiplash effect. We're, we're, we're renewing our minds and we're thinking about the changes within, you know, especially at a new year. And, and then we're talking about self-awareness. But then, then out of nowhere, God kind of muddies the water a little bit, it seems, and, and he throws a bunch of other people into the process. He says, you're, you're part of somebody else. You're part of something bigger than yourself. It's, it's, it's as if God is saying here, there is no transformation without collaboration. That you have to be a part of the community of Christ. You have to be a part of the family of faith if, if God is going to do everything in your life and through your life that he designed you to be when he called you to be his masterpiece. 
You have to function within the body of Christ. You, you, have, to, you have to be a part of what's going on. I was preaching for my good friend, David Hughes, down in South Florida. And this particular Sunday that I was preaching for him, there, there's a, a member of his church, that a guy that some of you may have heard of. He's a UFC fighter, Vitor Belfort. He, he's a world champion, baddest man on the planet at, at one time. And he was just a bad dude. Awesome guy. Brazilian, family man, married to one woman. He's got kids, everything. But on this particular Sunday in this service at David's church, Vitor and his family were front and center. Vitor was like sitting down there on the front row. And in street clothes, this guy will scare you to death. I mean, he's just a bad dude. His ears look like cauliflower. I mean, just man, he's just one of the sweetest people I've ever met in my life. Well, on this particular Sunday, I was actually preaching about David. And I got to the part where David was about to, to confront Goliath and and I, and I just, I said, you know, how much courage it had to take. And I made the statement that courage calls out courage. And out of nowhere from the front row, Vitor goes, lions walk with lions. <laughs> I have never amened the congregation back. I was kind of like, Mr. Belfort, would you like to finish the sermon? It'd be fine if you do. That's okay. I'll sit down. I've prepared a whole thing, but I don't need to finish it. <laughs> Lions walk. I have never forgotten that moment. But Vitor was preaching truth. Lions walk with lions. We need each other. You see, the church is one of the primary tools that God uses to chisel away the rough edges of our lives, the, the sharp corners that don't really fit into the high gloss finely polished veneer that he has in mind of the finished product of our being his masterpiece. He uses all of us to help all of us. We are connected for the purposes of being corrected sometimes. We need that. I, I wonder this morning, how many of you in the room know that you have some rough edges at some point in your life? Can I just see a show of hands? It's always fascinating to me to see who doesn't raise their hand on something like that. We need this, this chiseling called the church. This is a gift that God has given to us that we use within our lives. I, I thought about something that I'd heard about a long, long time ago in, in nature. Scientists talk about what's called symbiotic relationships, symbiosis. Symbiotic relationships are, are different animals that need each other to function the way they were designed to function. For example, you might have seen the crocodile bird. These are the birds that crocodiles open their mouths wide and allow birds that would normally be a great crocodile snack to come in and clean their teeth. They, they allow them to clean their, their, their crocodile teeth and they, they don't eat them, they don't harm them. They just let them do their dentistry and fly away. It's the same thing that happens with bees and flowers. You know, bees will, will go down into the bulb of a, of a flower and they'll, they'll collect the pollen, but then they'll take that pollen and pollinate other flowers with the pollen they collected from that flower and the flowers need that to reproduce. The bees need that to make honey and so they've got this symbiotic relationship. 
And I was so curious about it, I went and looked up symbiotic relationships on Wikipedia, which you know, of course, Wikipedia is the best source of information in the world because anyone anywhere can write anything they want to, so you know you're always getting the best information. But this, this is what it says. Symbiotic relationships are a special type of interaction between species. These relationships are essential to many organisms and ecosystems, and they provide a balance that can only be achieved by working together. They provide a balance that can only be achieved by working together. You and I need the church in order to be the balanced, healthy organisms and function in this ecosystem that we live in to be the masterpiece God has called us to be. We need each other. This is a, a symbiotic relationship. We need this symbiosis functioning on a regular basis. So there, there's no transformation without collaboration. There's no metamorphosis without symbiosis. We need each other to make this happen. And it's not just a New Testament thing. If you go back to the book of Proverbs, God's compendium of book of sayings pursuing the practice of wisdom in our lives, wisdom, discernment, common sense for an uncommon life over and over and over again. Proverbs talks about how we need this chiseling in our lives. Look at what it says. Proverbs 12 verse 15 says, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. How, how coachable are you? Are, are you really open to somebody saying, you can do better, you can be better? Proverbs 19.20, get all the advice and instruction you can so you will be wise the rest of your life. Proverbs 24.6, don't go to war without wise guidance. Victory depends on having many advisors. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. There is no substitute for the transformative power of community. None. There is nothing that will replace your being open, my being open to community, to God chiseling our lives away and the parts of our lives that need to be chiseled away for his glory, for his masterpiece that he desires to discover within the raw material, within the marble of our lives. I was hanging out with a friend of mine years, a few years ago. And this is a guy that I've gotten to be really good friends with. We've fished together, we hang out, we, we've done a lot of life together. And we were just kinda you know, shooting the breeze, catching up, how's your family, good, how's everything, kids, good, work, good, and, and just shooting the breeze like we do. When all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he asked me the following question. He said, Mac, do you ever wrestle with stress, with anxiety. He said, now, I, I don't mean that, that things are bad. My wife and I, we're on the same page. Things are great with us. I think our kids are, man, you know, they're doing as well as they could possibly be, be doing at this point in, in their lives. We're not out of the woods yet, but so far, so good. He said, actually, work is going pretty good, but there, there's still times like when I'm driving home in the afternoon or 
maybe late at night when everything's kind of gotten quiet and I just, I just kind of start tripping a little bit. I just start, I start kind of freaking out about what could go wrong, about what if, God forbid, something happened to our children or my wife or what, what if I lost my job and I didn't have any income? How? And, and so sometimes I kind of get wrapped around the axle. Has that ever happened to you? I looked across the table and I told him, I said, I have never dealt with that, but I'll pray for you. I'm just kidding. I was like, bro, you're talking to Noah about the flood, baby. I've shared with him the same thing I've shared with you that, you know, stress, anxiety, that, that's the single greatest spiritual challenge of my life. It's not the only spiritual challenge, but it's number one by a long shot. And, and so I shared with him a couple of things. I said, here's, here's kind of what I've started doing, and, and I say I've started doing this because I went to counseling. I, I started talking to a Christian counselor who knew what they were talking about, and, and I realized that when I start to get stressed or, or anxious, it is almost always about something that hasn't happened yet. It's almost always about something that might happen. That's typically. And so what that means by definition is it's not real. That's not to say that it couldn't happen or that it won't happen, but it hasn't yet. So since that's not real, I'm going to focus on what I know to be real, what I know to be true. And what I know to be true is this. God is still God. He is still on the throne. And I've got 52 years of watching him be faithful. He has never left me nor forsaken me. He has promised me he will never abandon me. God is going nowhere. No matter what the circumstances of my life do, God's going nowhere. And so I can rely on him and I know that he has me in the palm of his hand. And when I remember that and I remember that he's in charge, he is God and I am not, that, that brings me a lot of peace. It may not change the circumstances that I'm worried about, but it brings me that, that peace. Second of all, within the, the area of truth and reality, I think about Julie and Emily and Joe. Julie and I, we've got 27 years in on this thing. And I know because of who she is and because of her track record, she ain't going anywhere. And that's a good thing. And so between God and Julie and Emily and Joe, I can kind of I can kind of come down off of the ceiling tiles and and calm down, and I can be like, okay, all right, that, that's true and that's real. But then there, there's a second thing, and, and that is the friends that I have. I, I've, got, I've got some friends that I can pick up the phone and call them and go, hey, I'm just telling you, I'm going through a tough afternoon or year. <laughs> you know, I, I, this, this is just a hard season right now, and I'm trying to process through it. And, and these are the friends who will speak back into my life, encouragement and truth. Then they'll tell me not just what I want to hear, but what I need to hear. Or if I'm misperceiving or thinking about something wrong, they can be like, hey, Matt, back to reality. These are the kind of friends that I need, that I have. And so I looked across the table and I asked this friend of mine, I said, let me ask you something. Are you, in, are you in one of the men's Bible studies? He goes, man, I've been meaning to do that. Now, let me tell you this. This guy's been in our church for years. I mean, years and years and years and years. 
in years. He goes, I, I've, been, I've, I've been meaning to do that. And because he's a close personal friend of mine, and we've got a lot of years together, we've got a lot of water under the bridge, I said, you know that I love you, right? He goes, yeah, oh, I know that. I go, you're an idiot. <laughs> now, I only talk to my close friends like that. But I said, here's the thing. Let me, let me tell you something. Number one, it's, it's not just the Bible study part of it. Although you're going you're gonna to learn more about the Bible. You're going to learn more about who God is. And in those moments... When you get stressed and anxious, you're going to be able to recall those things that you now know that right now you don't know. But not only that, you're going to get to know other people who are going through the same thing you are. You're, you're going to build relationships with guys who are praying for you, who are thinking about what you're going through and are there for a phone call. It's like, man, you're right. I, I, need, I need to do it. I just need to do it. I want to fast forward about nine months. We were, again, hanging out, got a cup of coffee together, just shooting the breeze. He goes, you're not going to believe this. I forgot to tell you. You remember that Bible study thing that we talked about? I go, yeah. He goes, it works. I said, what? He goes, it's been unbelievable. He goes, and so when I, I was going to tell this story and I called him to get permission to tell this story this morning, he said, you don't even know the best part of the story. I said, well, hit me. He said, I switched jobs. And in my new job, you know, I'm kind of the new kid on the block, and so you want to put points on the board, and so I'm traveling and, you know, doing more stuff. I've had to miss our Bible study, so I called those guys, and I asked them if they could shift it a day in the week. And they were like, yeah, no problem. We don't travel. That's okay. Cool. He goes, I'm so excited to be back in Bible study with these guys. They're the coolest guys. They're just normal guys. He goes, and then the other thing is, I've noticed there's always somebody who's dealing with more stuff than I am, and that helps me. Now, I don't celebrate that, but I think God, I was like, listen, I get you. I, I get it. There is no substitute for the transformative power of community. There is no substitute. If you go to church, that is awesome. That is a huge part of being the church. As a matter of fact, turn to your neighbor, give them a high five and tell them you're a genius. That's great. That's awesome. And if you're watching online, you should be here. But my point is, I'm teasing. If, if, you're, if you're sick today, we pray that you feel better. And if you're just kicking the tires, we hope that one day you come into the room. If you just couldn't get it together, we'll see you next week. But my point is this. Going to church is a huge, huge part of being the church. You ought, you ought to tell your neighbor right now, I think there's a big butt coming because there's a big butt coming. Going to church is a huge part of being the church, but if going to church is all you're doing, then that means that you are accessing about 30%, maybe 40% of everything that God has for you as a functioning member of the body of Christ. Less than half of what God wants to do in your life and through your life is available by just showing up. Now, showing up matters. It's a big deal, but it's not the whole shooting match. I want to ask everybody real quick, if you will, take out your program. Everybody take out your program just real quick. 
It says morph on the front, the power to change. I want every single person, if you will, open this up to the Connect card. If you are not currently enrolled on the list of a Bible study, of a life group, of serving somewhere in this church, you need to fill this out right now. Just, just start filling. You know, as a matter of fact, so that nobody feels left out, everybody fill out your card right now. Just take your pen. Just take your pen and start filling it out. Don't write my name on there. Write your name on there. Name. Just everybody fill it out. Because there is no substitute for the transformative power of community. The Connect card is a way to begin connecting into everything that God wants to use in your life and through your life to carve out of the raw material the masterpiece that he's created you for. And so coming to church is a great first step. Being the church, experiencing it, that is what's next. And so for every single person who's filling this card out, who's not enrolled in a class, in a Bible study, in a, in a connect group, on a serve team, when you walk out of here today, you need to hand your card to one of our ushers, our hosts. They've got the really cool blue shirts on. They don't just give those away. Hand that card or give it to somebody that's at the hub out here underneath the front porch in a few minutes when we dismiss. But that is for you. That's, that's not for us. That, that's not so we can put more people on the usher team. That's for you. Because look at what Paul says. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read through this very, very quickly while you're continuing to fill out your card, but let this kind of wash over you. He says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, to speak for God, then speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, then be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Never be lazy in the church. That's what he's talking about here. He's not just talking about when you go to work and get a paycheck. He's saying, don't be just lazy in the church. Don't just show up and sit and soak. Be the church. Function as the church. Whatever your gift is, Whatever your role is, let's go. Get in the game. Now, here's what's fascinating. I want to go back to, to my boy, Michelangelo, the David. Michelangelo was not the original artist of the David. He started working on it in 1501, but going all the way back to 1464, the guild uh, of clothiers there in Florence who commissioned the David. 
gave it to another artist. And for two years, this artist kind of kind of took some half-hearted swings at it. He had kind of started the feet and the legs and the bass. And then for reasons that nobody, that are lost to history, he quit. And a couple of years later, another artist was commissioned and he kind of started on, but he did even less than the first guy did and he quit. And then for 26 years, the David was just a, just a blob of Italian marble that was lying on its side waiting for somebody to come along and finish it. Finally, around the turn of the 16th century, around 1500, the leading citizens of Florence said, we, we, we gotta do something. I mean, we paid for the rock and it, it's expensive to, to quarry that kind of marble and, and bring it in from Carrera where it was quarried. We, we need an artist. And, they considered even Leonardo da Vinci, decided not to do it. But there was this, this young upstart, Michelangelo, 26 years old, convinced them to give him the commission. And so Michelangelo spent the next two plus years of his life discovering the sculpture that was in the block of stone. I couldn't help, when I, when I found that out, I, I couldn't help but wonder, what if, what if Michelangelo had not sculpted the David? Can you imagine the tragedy? If it had gone to a lesser artist, a sculptor of lesser skill? Thank goodness Thank goodness that Michelangelo saw the David through. And it, it makes me ask the question, who's holding the chisel in my life? Who is it that you invite to chisel the rough edges away in your life? Because God says that the church is one of the main chisels he wants to use to knock those rough edges away, to, to kind of shave off the sharp corners. And that, that scripture is the hammer. Scripture is the one that guides the chisel. The, the truth and the reality of what God has communicated in the Bible, that's what guides the chisel wherever it goes as it's carving out the masterpiece. But the, the chisel and the hammer are in the hands of the master sculptor. That, that Jesus is the one who calls out of the marble the masterpiece. Jesus is the one who says, I wanna make something out of that stone, out of that rock. I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna fabricate a masterpiece. Now, I don't know where you are today. I, I don't know if you've chosen yet to trust Christ more than you trust yourself. I don't know if maybe some of the rough edges are still there because you've kind of shied away from community, from, from the transformative power of what God does amongst us, in us, and through us, imperfect as we are. But I do know this. It's always a good day to start. It's always the right time to do the right thing. 
and to begin to follow Christ. You don't have to pass a test. You don't have to, to come forward and recite chapter and verse in the Bible. You just have to choose to follow Christ, to respond to his grace initiative. I wanna ask you if you will, just for a moment, bow your heads. Just, just for a moment, I wanna ask you to bow your heads with nobody moving around or stirring or creating a distraction. But if you're here today and you wanna begin a relationship with Christ, we wanna give you the opportunity to do just that. To pray just right where you're sitting, that prayer of commitment, that prayer of beginning. Just silently talk to Jesus. He's perfect, he's everywhere, he knows everything. And so as you share your heart with him silently, he knows it and he hears it. Just silently say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I choose to believe that you are the master who will craft a masterpiece out of my life. I confess my sin to you, holding nothing back. I claim your forgiveness. And I will follow you from this moment forward with everything I have. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. Just for a moment, I want to ask you to Remain with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. But if that was your prayer, that means by definition, this is the greatest moment of your life. And so as a family, we wanna help with what comes next. And so I wanna ask you to do just a couple of things. Again, if you would, just take that connect card. You'll notice about halfway down, there's a place to indicate, I committed my life to Christ this week. That's the most important statement on that card. When we dismiss in just a moment, if you would, like I said, hand that card to one of our ushers, our hosts, that will allow us just to help with what's next, to come alongside and begin a dialogue that proceeds at whatever pace works for you, But it's a, it's a conversation that needs to happen. And so second of all, as our heads are bowed for just another moment, I wanna ask if you just prayed to receive Christ, you chose to trust him more than yourself, would you just quietly but unmistakably raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high for just a moment. Your hand in the air is just a statement. It's a physical statement of a spiritual commitment that you made in this moment and in this place. And so as a family, we want you to know we, we want to help and, and we celebrate that with you. 
And our family tradition is as you put your hands down, we're gonna put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.